0: All right, real quick, people, before we get into today's show, we've just released a new course, Periodization for Periods, all around how to train women around their monthly cycle, and we've got it on special. If you're interested, click the link in the show notes
1: you are now listening to the fitness education
0: online podcast the podcast where fitness professionals go to grow their fitness business if you're in the fitness industry you'll find tips and strategies from proven
1: business experts now let's start the show
0: All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fitness Education Online Podcast. I am super excited because we've got an absolute rock star on the line this week. And I know I say that about every guest every week, but this person actually is. If you take a look at his resume, he's a former professional rugby league player. He played in the English Super League for over 10 years. He's an experienced strength and conditioning coach. He spent about five, six years at the Canberra Raiders. Um, He spent the last year or so at the ACT Brumbies. He's a level three strength and conditioning coach with Asker. Um, He's an SR sports and exercise scientist, and he's probably one of the most, if not the most, biggest expert in the world to speak about this topic here. It's the one and only Mr. Ryan Clayton. Ryan, how are you?
1: Yeah, good mate, uh, thank you for having me on, uh, much appreciated and can't wait to to show some insights into the uh, professional world.
0: Yes, can't wait to hear what you've got to say. Just before we we dive into that, have you been following the Rugby League World Cup at all?
1: Yeah, I've watched England, beat yeah. Samoa, um, really happy with the result, I didn't yeah. actually see it coming, but yeah, real good result from the English guards and um, there's some former players in there that I had um some things to do with George Williams Elliot Whitehead well John Bayman didn't play but he's in the squad so yeah really excited to see how far they can go on, on home turf and yeah wishing them all the best
0: yeah yeah for for the listeners that um that maybe aren't that familiar with rugby league it's we've got a world cup it's not quite the soccer world cup um but there are a, a couple good teams in there and Samoa picked a really, really strong team, you know, just filled with like NRL stars and Penrith Panthers and grand finalists. And they played England on the first um, game. And it was kind of, I mean, I don't even know who, who was favourites beforehand. It must've been a pretty, pretty close kind of thing. And then England beat them like 60 to nil or something like that. Wasn't it?
1: Yeah. I think Well, Samoa were favourites with the with the bookies, quite heavy, heavy favourites. Yeah. Then, yeah. 60 to six. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was quite close for the first 20 minutes and then, uh england kind of took control of the game and and got got a really good win good start
0: yeah 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 um hey, let's um i've obviously you know done a bit of research on yourself right for my listeners that haven't do you want to let everyone know a little bit maybe start with exactly what it is you do now and, and what your role is now and then if we can dive in kind of like how that happened how you you went from kind of english super league player to where you are now
1: Yeah, so uh, my official role at the Brumbies is Head of Athletic Performance. Um, Previously, I was Head of Strength and Power. Um, My boss last year left uh, and I got promoted this year, which is a really exciting challenge uh, for myself. Uh, We were quite successful last year, so building on that, I hope we can have a similar kind of year or or go one better and get to a, a grand final and win it uh regarding my journey so um let's even, I, spend it,
0: let's even spend a minute there just just for listeners, as well and also just for those of you that maybe aren't rugby fans the brumbies are um you know in the super rugby competition which yeah. is the premier competition in in australia and is new zealand in there i don't even know is it yeah there's zealand? new
1: zealand teams as well yeah. yeah so new zealand um and uh australian teams uh super 14 so and there's um, only, there's only a play.
0: handful of Australian teams, right?
1: How many? How many? Australian yeah, I think there's teams five there? franchises. Uh, there's uh, ACT Brumbies, Queensland Reds, Western Force, uh, New South Wales Waratahs, and Melbourne Rebels are the five Australian franchises. Yeah. Um, so really lucky to be involved in one of them. And I just uh, want to just
0: want to kind of position Ryan there. So there's only five teams like this in Australia. And he's running one. He's essentially running the athletic program for one of them there, which just shows where he is in the the space there. So sorry, I just wanted to to highlight that.
1: That's okay. Yeah. Um, and then regarding uh, my journey, uh, I finished playing in 2010, um, and there was an opportunity for me to start my strength and conditioning career at Sale Sharks. Is that uh, that's who you were?
0: That's who you were playing with at the time, or
1: no, no, no. So I, I was playing rugby league, and uh, Sales Sharks are a rugby union team oh, in okay. the UK. Yeah, um, through a mutual friend, um, just networking while I was playing was quite important um, to get that opportunity. So that was a it was it wasn't a paid position at the start. I was actually still playing part time uh, rugby league to to to, uh, to earn a wage and pay my mortgage and. Um, I did that for a year and successfully earned a contract uh, at the end of that to be an assistant strength and conditioning coach under a guy called Nigel Ashley-Jones, who's currently at Scarlet's. He had a vast uh, amount of knowledge and experience, and I I learned a hell of a lot of him in uh, the two years we were together. Um, From there, he left to go to the Raiders, and I left to go to Yorkshire Carnegie to head that well, was my first position as a head um, of strength and conditioning. And that was a great experience. Um, That's rugby union. Rugby that union. was still rugby union yeah. um, in north of England. Um, and then I kept in contact with Nigel, um, my first boss from sales Sharks, and he was kind of saying there might be a position come up um, at the Raiders. Would I be interested? So as a, a former league player, I was really interested to go to the NRL. It was kind of a dream to kind of want to, want to, want to test myself in the in the best competition uh, in rugby league. Uh, so when he, he did actually say there's an opportunity, uh, myself and my family jumped at the kind of opportunity. We yeah, well. flew out in 2015 and spent six, six years at the Raiders. Uh, we got to a grand final in 2019. We got to two, semi, two prelim semis. In 2016 and 2020, so the six years we were there. The three years were pretty successful. Um, the three years we weren't, I probably that was probably the biggest learning curves uh, in defeat, a uh, off or failure was probably the the kind of biggest learning curve that had rather than than what worked. It was probably more than what didn't work, uh, and to correct that. So, and then we both left um, in 2021. Um, Nigel went to Scarlet's and I went to uh, ACT Brumbies as Head of Strength and Power. Um, That was last year. We got to a semi-final and got beat off um, the Crusaders, or the Blues, and then the Crusaders beat the Blues in the final. Um, Yes, we were one game
0: short. Bloody Kiwis, right?
1: Yeah, I know. They're pretty good at Rugby Union. Yeah. Uh, They're pretty good at Rugby League as well. Yeah. uh, It's it's their first sport. Yeah. Um, We were pretty confident going into that because we'd had some quite close games uh, we had some players missing but yeah we uh we fell short by a couple of points in the semis so we didn't get to make the grand final but it was still a, a relatively successful year yeah.
0: you, you would have been the best Australian franchise right we
1: were we were the top of the Australian franchises yeah um, so yeah we were the only franchise Australian franchise in the semi-final so yeah um, you could say it was a successful year but you kind of always want to be the best, yeah. Getting to grand finals and winning because that's what um, professional sport is kind of all about, really. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So here we are today, uh, head of athlete performance.
0: Awesome. Wait, I got a couple of questions with that kind of journey, Ryan. The first one is: Did you always knew when you were playing? Did you always know that you were going to get into strength and conditioning coaching afterwards, or did that come up during the journey? Tell us about that. Um, I always had an
1: interest in sport from a real young age. I never really knew what I I wanted to do with that. Um, I was actually looking to be a a PE teacher. Yeah. um, When I was playing and I kind of rumbled around with that for a couple of years and I thought, should I do my uh, post-grad in teaching? Um, My next kind of train of thought was physiotherapy. Yeah. Um, And then when I was actually in professional sport, I realized, you know, that they're kind of the people that get complained to the most and they've got to be before and after training. There wasn't actually too much coaching to it. Mm. Um, So I really enjoyed coaching. So I kind of got pushed down the strength and conditioning kind of route Um, because I knew so many people uh, and I networked within that industry. It was kind of something that kind of uh, fell at my feet and I kind of. Felt like I was a, uh, I had something to offer in that kind of range. So then, when people were kind of giving me good feedback, I was like, "Oh, well, this is probably the the way to go after my career." Um, so that was probably the career path of kind of decision making that I probably had over the over the ten years I was playing.
0: Gotcha. And I know you're you're very qualified now at what you do in terms of like you know qualifications and courses and that kind of stuff there. When you first started, what did you kind of have under your belt there? Or was it more just like the experience? Uh,
1: I think being a professional player kind of helped me in that space. Um, What I see is a lot of people coming out of university that can quote papers, uh, Mm -hmm. books, you know, but haven't got any kind of people skills that can kind of – Coach people and kind of push people into their kind of thinking of what they want to do and ca- and enjoyment of certain drills and, and exercises. Where mm. I think that helped me a little bit being a professional player, where I'd seen kind of sort of stuff, I'd been in sessions. So that kind of helped me. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't say um, I was the best coach in the first two or three years of uh, of coaching. Uh, it's kind of, it's a journey and I think a lot of people learn um, off different people and that's mm-hmm. kind of my journey where I've been quite lucky in the, the fact that I've worked under some very good experienced S&C coaches and high-performance managers. You know, i kind of learned my way um, mm-hmm. along the way and I think university is a really good tool but it kind of doesn't really prepare you for, for, for strength and conditioning and working with athletes and, um, on a day-to-day basis, kind of uh, man-management kind of skills that are probably needed at this level.
0: Yeah, okay. Well, that leads on to my my next question there. It's going to be a lot of people listening to this, watching this, who are currently personal trainers and may have an interest in training athletes. What kind of pathway would you recommend is is asker the first step do you look at doing a degree do you look at just getting involved in in your local sports teams and on top of that as well how important is it to have that skill set in that sport, there, like, have you, yeah? Tell tell us about both of those kind of things there.
1: Yeah, well, first of all, I was, I, I would definitely, you've you've got to do a degree of some sort, okay. whether that's sports or science or biomechanics or something along that way. To get asca qualified, you have to have a degree, okay. so that's kind of a logical progression. What I would say is, um, get involved with your local team, volunteer okay. at your local. Um, sporting teams and your local uh, professional teams um, because all this kind of experience and exposure to different ways of doing things, different ways to talk to athletes, different ways to kind of get your point across in a, in a direct um, and kind of poignant manner. So th- these kind of things are really important in coaching. Because uh, normally you're under some kind of time constraints, whether it's schedule or head coach or something like that. So it's not normally an endless kind of time scale. So trying to get your point across quickly and effectively is probably a real, a real point of difference uh, within coaching. So I would say probably degree, ask her and then try and get some experience of coaching athletes, um, kids, Mm. kind of anything around that kind of area and then probably volunteer at your local clubs, uh, sporting clubs, um, get an internship. Mm. Uh, you can do internships. Um, we've got a couple of people through the Uni- University of Canberra at the minute that we kind of take on yearly. So kind of apply for these kind of positions and that'll give you a foot in the door. Um, mm. And then it's networking after that. Um, so I think one thing that I'm really need to get better at his networking. Um, mm. I think I've got a, a very close network, but I think getting a wider network uh, because professional sport is a sometimes a cruel industry. Mm. Uh, one or two people change positions and then you end up moving on, not because you're doing a poor job, not because mm. no one likes you, it's just because uh, someone else wants to bring uh, his friend it. in or his, yeah. the coach he's worked with before. So it's not always mm. um, the job that you do. Um, that keeps you employed it's you know it's your next job that you can go to 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 create a decent network i think is really important
0: yeah wow okay now in terms of like the skill set and if you can answer this both i guess as a player and as a coach when you were a player were all the strength and conditioning coaches former league players former rugby players or uh, or even now is is the your team here all ex rugby players and were they professional amateur what what can you tell us about that
1: yeah i think um being a professional um uh, a former player sometimes can be negative really um uh, and the positive um I found that some people have reservations about employing uh, p- former professional athletes because they're still in the the player kind of yeah, um, mode, and they've not moved on from that, and they're probably less scientific. That that's kind of a yeah. broad oversight. Yeah. Um, the positive, obviously, is you you've been in the position that you're trying to coach people. You know the environment. You know how to talk to players. You know how to get the best out of players. You know what drills work and don't work. So you've got a real good idea. Mm-hmm. So my kind of spectrum of coaches that I've worked under as a player, they weren't all. Professional rugby league players, or former players, or former athletes. It was mm-hmm. kind of a mix, and I think that was really important for me to get a, a broad, a broad understanding of, of different people. So there was kind of a, a former AFL player, a former rugby league player, yeah. um, and there was actually a guy that had a swimming background. Yeah. Um, but there were people probably always interested in sport, whether they were a specialist. in a a certain sport and play professionally, not everyone. I don't think it's 100% important or necessary that you're a former player. Um, In some aspects, like I said before, in some aspects, I think it does help. In some aspects, I think it's actually a hindrance as well.
0: Yeah, and I guess it comes down to the team as well. If you're looking at a team of coaches, you may want a couple of each, you know? You may want at least one person that's that's played at that elite level, Um, but then you might be like, hey, we don't want all players there. Let's get yeah. someone from a different sport. Let's get someone who maybe hasn't played an elite level but is, is very scientific, and then they can bounce around there. So I see...
1: Yeah, 100%. If you, when you're putting a, a team together, um, it's basically putting people together that kind of can gel and work together on, on a similar pattern on how they want to put things together. And so yeah. that makes everyone streamlined in, in one kind of flow. So there's no kind of... Um, conflict in the yeah. way that people want to run it yeah uh, or the program that you wanted to, to to deliver
0: no better way to to lose teams than to do that right one coach yeah. tells you
1: this the other coach tells you that yeah exactly so that yeah. quickly uh what professional players are quite good at is is kind of finding weaknesses in teams and in coaches so yeah. <laughs> um, if you're not aligned, they kind of quickly find that out so um, being aligned is a is a quite a big one in, when you're trying to employ people, and then different skill sets. You're 100 percent right. Mm. Someone who's got a a real coach, athlete centered kind of philosophy versus someone who's really numbers mm. um, really sports science wise. They, they could sometimes can work really well together. Sometimes they can conflict. Mm. Um, so there's there's the art of sport of sport science, and then. You know, there's the actual sports science and the numbers. Um, so where where kind of the best coaches that I think are probably a mixture of both. Yeah. Because I think the numbers are really important, but the numbers shouldn't dictate training. Training is something, uh, and philosophy is something that, you know, is not in team sport. It's very hard to be kind of... Uh, set in stone because there's so yeah. many different people that kind of have a, an influence over training your hedge coach your assistant coaches your scrum coaches you know all these people you your strength and power coach they all have a, a say in the program mm. so getting everyone aligned uh, getting everyone to stick to timings, and stick to loads is uh, that's kind of the trick uh, mm. all the art of it and the science if you're really rigid Sometimes that doesn't really work too well with head coaches who want to do a little bit more. So there's going to be some wriggle room um, around your program and your scheduling and stuff like that. So, yeah, getting everyone to work together is probably the biggest part of it.
0: Yeah. Now tell us a little bit more about your specific role there, Ryan. So you mentioned Head of Athletic Development, and this doesn't even have to be, like, specific to the Brumbies. If you can just kind of paint a bit of a picture of, like, what a strength and conditioning coach would do at a professional rugby club or, or rugby league club and the different kind of roles there
1: so different kind of roles ahead of athletic performance is kind of over the whole squad gotcha. so we're we're looking at global loads um, distance high speed meters how fast they run injury prevention models um, the schedule the kind of global plan where we play. Uh, how we get there, travel, logistics, um, how hard training is going to be, what kind of metrics, whether it's acceleration-based or high-speed meter-based training, kind of the plan of pre-season. They're kind of over the whole kind of schedule. And then you've probably got a strength and power coach who kind of just – he's probably an assistant who, who works solely in the gym but yeah, kind of assists on the field with kind of things that, that might need doing someone might need extra conditioning or an extra speed work or something like that. So that kind of would would be his role. And a lot of teams are different. So everyone kind of sets this up a differently, as we spoke before, getting a team that works well together. Um every every club does it slightly different. This is just probably a general one. And then there's probably a sports scientist who's GPS. Yeah. Looking at all the numbers, uh, making sure that the the individual loads are too low or too high on individual players, who's then feeds that back to the head of athletic performance, who makes a decision on on do you top the athlete up or do you do you rest him? Um, and then there's working together with um, two, maybe one, two or three physios, depending on um, your your club uh, financially or. Um, some some clubs have um, like Rugby australia paid employees gotcha
0: now what about um you know if you're watching a game there's kind of the sports trainers that you know are running on and off the field and that kind of stuff yep where would that be the strength and power coach or who where do they fit into they're completely different again
1: yeah it's um... Different at every club. Um, I actually ran the blue shirt at the Raiders for a while, and I ran the yellow shirt at the Raiders. Blue shirt was kind of running on, giving messages, which was tactical or technical yep. uh, messages. Oh, wow. So that's walking. part
0: of, and that that's part of, still the um the strength and conditioning side of things as well.
1: Uh, sometimes it depends. Sometimes okay. an assistant coach, a rugby coach, does that role. Yep. Um, it was just the fact that I was an ex-player and. Yeah, a lot of assistant coaches can't, uh, haven't got any knees left so they, they don't run so much or they're too old to run and then the yellow shirt was an assistant role to a physio who kind of run the orange shirt which is more medical um, again in rugby union it's different, the doctors and the physios run all uh, the sidelines and then the coaches run the, the blue shirt or the equivalent to that so um we're kind of on the sideline doing warm-ups mm.
0: um
1: sub warm-ups uh, looking at gps live gps numbers um, uh, that kind of stuff on the sideline gotcha
0: awesome all right well hey super interesting ryan what i'd also what i'd like to speak about now is is for the trainers that and i know you do a bit of this yourself as well there's a lot of like not professional rugby players but weekend warriors that kind of stuff there that you know want to get stronger faster fitter for rugby They'll walk into a gym, they'll hire a personal trainer and essentially say, hey, you know, I'm a rugby player, I want to get stronger, faster, fitter, can you help me? What kind of tips would you have for a personal trainer that's training someone like that? Let's take a quick break. right now
1: yeah well actually on the side um i actually run a, an online uh program where people can kind of uh buy a program or get advice um so i offer four eight and 12 week programs um uh, claytonperformancetraining.com is the web is my website uh and we'll what i the see link, there is i see we'll, a lot we'll of put people- the link
0: just just for this is we'll put that link in the show notes as well if you want to check oh, it yeah.
1: out, yeah, brilliant, yeah, thank you. Um, so, kind of what I see there is a lot of people who, are, who play sport the weekend. Uh, they've either got a long injury history, mm. or you know they want to get a little bit better. Like you said, stronger, fitter, faster, um, to, to improve their sporting performance. Um, so, their advice nine times out of ten is you know, technical advice on how to lift, I think is the biggest mm. kind of deficit that I see. And the other one is how to put a week together, uh, when to run fast, uh, when not to run. Um, I see a lot of people just either over-training or under-training and not putting the week together uh, correctly to avoid injury and maximise uh, performance. That's kind of what I see the most often I uh, kind of the most advice I give in like in that kind of area. So a personal trainer, um, what advice I would give to that person who comes in is taking the full picture of what that 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 person's trying to achieve. So don't just think about that training session, getting people better in that training session. Think about what came before that. When was that last match? When did the last train? Um what was the content? When is when's their next game? I think a lot of people uh, get muddled up with just kind of focusing on trying to get their squat better in or their fitness better in that one session where really the best kind of way to do that is over a period of time to gradually increase people's uh, exposure to high-speed running, um, volume and distance and getting stronger over a period of time rather than just getting strong in that one session. I think that's one, one of the biggest, session, uh, the biggest mistakes I've seen is everyone's trying to lift maximally, Run maximally all the time, mm. where that's how people get injured, and you know to avoid that, to load that correctly, uh, I think it's one of the biggest like learning curves that I've had in uh, in online um, strength and conditioning. Gotcha.
0: Okay. What about resources? Let's say a a personal trainer is listening to this, and they're like, okay, I got to get better at my my programming. Have you got any resources that you could recommend? Whether it's books, whether it's podcasts, whether it's courses, people to follow, who's the the best programming gurus out there at the moment? Yeah, yeah, there's
1: there's many. Uh, There's a lot out there. Um, MAS-wise, I'll probably follow Martin Boucher, Uh, so Max Aerobic Speed Training. Um, I follow him. He's a French guy, very well read, Um, has got lots of things online. Um, And then speed-wise, Verne Gambert, obviously he's out there quite a lot and then I think his name's Derek Hansen um speedwise uh Jonas Dodo uh speedwise which is uh, an English guy um yeah and then weights wise is obviously a lot West Bar- uh, Westfield yeah. barbell all these kind of guys out there I actually like a guy uh, Mike Boyle
0: oh yeah. yeah 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 big in the fitness industry
1: yeah, so I I kind of followed him quite a lot um, as, a, as a junior coach. Um, technically, you know, I think he's got some really good points, um, gets his point across well. You know, he's got a system. He does a lot of single leg work, uh, unilateral rather than bilateral. You know, he prepares people for the combined test in a lot of the college kind of things. So, yeah, I followed him quite a lot um, in the gym. And then I think a lot of things is, you know, t- researching so there's a lot of research out there in the minute mm-hmm. so uh, researching what kind of your philosophy is and picking little pits out of everyone mm-hmm. and not just following one guy because i think one guy it can be real um uh, it can be screwed one way into real right side kind of thinking or left side thinking i think there's a middle ground somewhere let's say, take hamstring uh, prevention um, is it eccentric that's the most important is it an isometric contraction that's most important is it pelvic positioning or is it um, high speed running that kind of is the, is the golden bullet run fast and often mm. um, so yeah. I'd be real careful around people that just say it's just this mm. um, that, that, that only gets people fit and resilient um, yeah I'd be real careful about them people and I think there's a middle ground in most things and then just just trial and error and work out what works for you, what doesn't work, what works out for your clients. I suppose it's probably a little bit different to professional sport, as in these professional athletes that are there every day, mm. it's their job. They get paid to do it, they have to turn up, where in a personal training business, you kind of client, client, you have to kind of get them coming back regularly, and client retention is probably a real big thing. Yeah, So making it interesting um, as well is probably one thing, and, and, and building people's um, kind of belief in what you're trying to do and then always tweaking a little little bits of, of your program to make it interesting and new to people. For, um, I'm guessing, but yeah, I think that might be quite important. It's still important in rugby league, rugby union, soccer, what, because that's players what are gonna ask. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was going to ask. Like, yeah.
0: Because in the, the fitness personal training kind of world, it's so important to keep it like interesting and fun because otherwise the person will just cancel, right? Yeah. So you almost sacrifice a little bit of the um, the gains or the, the scientific yeah. benefit just to keep that person coming. Yeah. So want I want to ask you that question in the professional space because you mentioned that's these guys right. full time job. like they're not paying the personal trainer to go. like right. they're getting paid to go is i'm guessing they they're obviously more motivated than the average sort of person but still they do still get bored and you need to keep it interesting and it's not just as much of this is what we need to do to win what's what's your take there
1: yeah it's it's a very interesting space Um, like some of my ex-professional um kind of coaches they say do three years at a club and move because people get bored here yeah wow um so your philosophy your kind of the way you like to do things it's and I I know people that stayed at 10 years at clubs, so it's not not every club. So uh, kind of reinventing yourself, um, not all the time, but making small tweaks to your program. My kind of, in the weights room, just for instance, my non-negotiables are squat, chin, bench, RDL, you know, these kind of staples in the program and everything else is kind of up for negotiation. So the one way that I try and make it Personalized um, to that individual athlete is if you're, let's say, squat for instance. Um, if you have a pathology that you don't like back squatting or you just don't like back squatting, I'd rather program a front squat or a trap bar deadlift uh, for that particular person or a single leg, uh, a step up or a, um, you know, a Bulgarian squat. I would rather program that so they lift within ten. And they've got more buy-in to that exercise than just say, this exercise solves everything. Mm. So that's my way of trying to get players to kind of buy-in is mm. is individualizing um, that part of the program to make them buy-in more, um, to make them enjoy their programming more. Because I think what I've found with, with athletes is if they enjoy doing it, you have a laugh while they're doing it. Yes. It's, it's scientifically backed up. You know, There's certain non-negotiables that you can't get away from. Yeah. Um, and you have to be strong. You have to be powerful. So if he wants to do, um, you know, something real fluffy um, instead of his, his squat pattern, yeah. then, you know, I'm going to ask asking questions. I'm going to try and talk him out of that. So, yeah, it's, it's, still, a, it's still a very interesting topic within professional sport is how you get the best out of athletes, how you keep it interesting. It's still the same. I would think it's knowing your athletes. So some players can do the same session week in, week out, and not get too bored. You yeah. you manipulate rep range and load schemes and they're real happy. Um, some others, you know, take a little bit more of a, a buy-in and you have to keep it real interesting for them and different. And I think that's uh, just knowing your group and knowing your athletes. Yeah,
0: for sure. Awesome. All right. Well, Ryan, that's pretty much all I wanted to talk about for today. Um, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people listening to this being like, all right, this guy is cool. He knows his stuff. I want to follow him. Um, if we want to follow you. Where do we go? What, what's your best socials? Uh, so probably Instagram,
1: uh, Colleen Performance Training. Um, that's probably the best place to get me. Do you know, if you uh, send me a, a message in there, I'll, I'm more than happy to get back to anyone. Um, I, I regularly do it. It's already up and running. The program, the online program, so it's kind of it's up and running. If you want to get get a, any advice or as a personal trainer or you, you want a program or you want to... So that's one of the best things I found is... Go out there and actually train, do different yeah. programs, and then um, find out what works, what doesn't work. That's uh, probably one of the advice I would give.
0: Hundred percent. Awesome. All right. Well, Ryan, is there anything I should have asked you but didn't, or anything you want to finish us off with?
1: Um, I think one of the biggest things I've I've always trying to keep it simple and effective uh, yeah. in your program, and you know, um, and clear and goal orientated. So whether he wants to lose 5kg body weight, whether he wants to increase his muscle mass, whether he wants to increase his bench press to 150, if, if people are more motivated to do it, then they're more likely to um, do the program and you'll get better results on the back of it. And that's probably my biggest piece of advice.
0: Love it. Awesome. All right, Ryan, thank you very much for your time.
1: No worries, mate. Thank you
0: thank you for listening if you liked this show share it with your friends subscribe on itunes and leave us a five-star review for show notes and free training on how to grow your fitness business visit www.fitnesseducationonline.com.au are you a fitness professional looking to provide your clients with personalized meal plans